0: He just felt like he wasn't treated fairly. So from there, he kind of started this mild protest with planting corn and the deer were coming into town and eating the corn and people thought it was funny. Uh, but then he somewhere along the line got the idea that he was gonna put toilets out on his property.
1: From NCPR, this is Northwards. People, ideas and conversations from and about Northern New York, Vermont and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke.
0: Support for the Northwards podcast comes from Joe Steiniger and Mary McDonald in support of the Adirondack Foundation, building stronger Adirondack communities.
1: If you live in Potsdam or you've ever driven through Potsdam, there's no avoiding them. And if you haven't driven through Potsdam, just trust me. Along Route 11 on the way into or out of town towards the south is a set of old toilets arrayed in semicircles and along a gravel path next to the railroad tracks. There's another set of festively decorated toilets on Market Street, near where it meets Sandstoner Drive. They're on properties owned by Hank Robar, and the story of what they're doing on his land is well chronicled in these parts. Suffice it to say that at the center of it is a dispute between Robar and the village government that has gone on for years. But while it started as a protest, the so-called toilet gardens have taken on a life of their own, walking the line between political speech and art. And now there is a documentary that tells the story of the Toilet Gardens and the controversy in great detail. It came out last year, and it's written and directed by filmmaker Morgan Elliott, who joined us on the line. Welcome to the show. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. What what did you think uh,
0: Hank Robar's story would be when you conceived of this film? I didn't really know, honestly, because you hear little snippets uh, as you're growing up, as I did in this area. You hear people giving their opinions, of course, uh, whether they're for or against the toilets. Um, So I I guess I I didn't feel like I could formulate my own opinion until I dove into it a little bit. And I started by talking to journalists who had covered the story because, you know, you hope that you go to them for the most unbiased uh, uh, reporting on the story. Uh, So I started there. And that's when I kind of said, oh, I guess I didn't know the full story and uh, now let's go talk to some other people and that's kind of how it unfolded
1: well so this is an ordeal that's been going on for for quite a long time um for people who don't live in the potsdam or or the potsdam area or the saint lawrence valley or just haven't followed the saga can you give us a thumbnail sketch of how we got to the point we're at right now
0: yep uh it started back in i believe 2002 or three um Hank's memory is a little fuzzy on that. And some of the reporting, uh, you know, there was multiple articles, but Hank Robar wanted to sell his property to Dunkin' Donuts for a significant amount of money. And the property had to be rezoned in order to do that. So uh, there was a a zoning issue. He needed to get it changed from a B2 business zone to a B1 business zone. And, you know, there were other B1 businesses right around there. And so he felt like, he was dismissed rather easily uh, and that they didn't look into it enough and then there were other properties that he wanted to have rezoned and the board kind of shoot you know poo-pooed it and shoot him away and he just felt like he wasn't treated fairly so from there he kind of started this mild protest with corn planting corn and the deer were coming into town and eating the corn and people thought it was funny. Uh, But then he somewhere along the line got the idea that he was going to put toilets out on his property. And then uh, 20 years later, here we are. uh, A lot of court cases along the way, battles between the village and Hank, um, and then an ultimate $7 million lawsuit.
1: Well, and and. Sometime between then and now, uh, Hank expanded his his installations to beyond just the, the property that he wanted to sell to Dunkin' Donuts originally to, to other properties he owned around town.
0: Yeah, it, it expanded pretty quickly. Um, I, I mean, he's definitely gone through hundreds of toilets over the years because he's had to replace some, um, but there was the property on Pierpont that uh, appeared and then disappeared Um, after he sold that. But yeah, you have the one up on Maple Street and the one downtown. And, uh, you know, it really became, I think Hank found that there was definitely people in the community that enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, they're obviously detractors too, but he started to get thumbs up and he started to get people honking. And I think he really liked that. Um, And that's when he kind of it changed from a protest to this strange phenomenon where it was, is it art, is it not, and people debating that. And, of course, he was putting social commentary into his displays with uh, the toilet sandbox turtles and uh, and women's clothing hanging from his property. So to, to be sure, it does not seem like he was thinking about art when he first did this. No, and he'll admit that. Uh, you know, he said at first he was just ticked off. And so he put the toilets out, but, um, he started I, for whatever reason, he, he wanted to spruce them up a little bit and he started putting the flowers in and, and doing different things with scarecrows. Um, so, but yeah, it took, it took years, I think. And that's the interesting thing to me about this story is, is how long it went on. Um, and that how it's morphed over time and how it's kind of become, a. a part of the identity of Potsdam. And, and people, I think some people were upset that uh, the film was titled Potty Town because they're like, we don't want to be called that. But it's to me, it's uh, Potty Town is a part of Potsdam. It's not the whole thing. And, and if people come to visit the toilets in Potsdam from out of the area, they'll see what a great community Potsdam is. And so I think I, I do think it's a win win.
1: How,
0: how did you approach Hank to tell this story? Uh, I, I called Hank, he doesn't have a cell phone, so I called his landline, or if he does, it's a flip phone. He doesn't do the internet. Um, so, uh, yeah, he said, he said that I could come over and talk to him and he was interested in doing it. And so we went out to his house. He, he wanted to talk at the toilets and I said, the audio there is going to be terrible with the cars going by. So we, we took him to his house or we went to his house. And we sat down for it was at least two hours, two or three hours, and we interviewed him. And um, Hank is a, he's a interesting guy. He's friendly. He's got um, some quirks about him, and he's a little reserved in a way. You know, he doesn't he he's kind of like a one liner guy. You know, he gives you he says what has to be said, and then there's no more. So that was you know getting the the story out of him was. Uh, a little bit of work but once we got what we needed from him we you know we went and got it from different perspectives
1: well and and the other part of this that's curious is that the the village has refused to talk to you about the situation um aside from you know one village trustee who was not a trustee when you started making the film um how how did that affect your ability to tell this story
0: well it was very important to me to be as unbiased as possible, especially me living here. I've grown up with the story. So I wanted to tell the side, the story from all sides and people, to me, I've always felt that like an audience doesn't want to be told how to feel, you know, they can make up their own minds. You don't want to, they don't want to be preached to. So, um, I said, let's just get all the facts and present it and let them make up their own minds. And I, the village you know, it was, it was hard, and I, and I was worried that we weren't going to have that perspective. I, I tried contacting them numerous times. Um, I even had the village historian from Potsdam lined up to do an interview, and I said, we won't ta- even talk about toilets. We'll just talk about the history of Potsdam, and the village administrator came in and, and said no, and that was after the court case was over, so there was no legal reason they couldn't talk about it. Um, So that it was definitely challenging, but I had Ted Prawl on there who was from the planning board. And so it was good to at least get his side of things. And um, and I tried to talk to community members who were against the toilets, too. Well, and Ted was uh,
1: Ted Ted was quite the character and in the uh, at least in the in the film that you used.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's very opinionated and feels very strongly. And he did say during the interview that. You know, nobody from the village wants to talk about this, but somebody has to say say, you know, talk about their side, their perspective, because uh, if, if you don't, then uh, it's going to be completely one sided.
1: Uh, you use clips from some of the media attention the Toilet Gardens have uh, gotten and the, the squabble over them in particular, um, including some from this very radio station, but but also from as far away as the UK. I had not realized that the Toilet Gardens were featured in The Guardian, for example. Why do you think the story has attracted the interest that it has?
0: Well, I think, you know, it's a small town uh, man versus government story, and I think no matter where you go, um, there's always going to be elements of that. You you talk about like Hank felt that there was a, uh, an inner circle or a good old boys club sort of thing going on. And I think that's probably the experience of many people in many small towns. And I, you know, it's probably inevitable. You get people in power and they're going to, uh, they might have friends and they're going to treat their friends well. And I think it's just human nature at some level. Um, it's not necessarily right, you know, but it's, it happens. And I, so I think people, um, can see a lot of their community in this story. Um, and it's just strange and unique. I had one guy on a podcast say, you know, it's, it's just crazy that this got to this level. Like it got, it went this far, like, couldn't they have just figured something out? You know, it went on for 20 years in a lawsuit. So and, and he and he said, too, that it's probably the strangest protest story he's ever seen. Um, so, I you know, it's unique. It's got um, themes of man versus government, um, small town politics, art, you know, the questions of is it art or is it not? So that's and those are the questions that drew me to it, too.
1: Do, do you think do you think Hank is surprised that it's gone on for this long?
0: I don't think I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think he if he was younger, he would keep it going for 50 more years, you know, and <laughs> and I don't want to give away anything in the film. But at the, towards the end, there is a comment about uh, him leaving these properties in his will to his children that there are stipulations that the toilets must stay. Um, so maybe this will go on for another 50 to 100 years. Um much to the chagrin of uh, some community members. But um, yeah, I think I think if they would have worked, I, I think he was open to working with the village. And if, you know, they had sat down over coffee and said, look, like we, let's figure something out. Well, let's figure out a compromise that maybe it could have been um, uh, something like this could have been prevented. So maybe it wouldn't have gone on as long, but as long as, as he feels like he's been slighted, I think it you know he was going to keep up the protest
1: well and from his standpoint you know the they ended up approving a Dunkin Donuts like a quarter mile down the road and that has to feel like a a slight every time he sees it
0: yeah yeah and that was definitely mentioned and then of course you have like people bring up the fact that oh the neighbors the neighbors didn't want to in there but then you you know you had a trailer park where they basically like took these people's homes so you know, they didn't take them, but they were, they were forced to relocate. So I don't think that's a very valid argument. Um, and, and he felt the same way. So. Well, and then
1: there's this great irony again, not to give too much away from the film uh, in the film, but, uh, but they, uh, they end up winning the court case and he and his lawyer go out to Dunkin' Donuts afterwards.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They thought that was a fitting, uh, Uh, celebration to the the end of this whole thing kind of circling back to where it all started. And Hank doesn't drink a lot of coffee, but he was all for going that day.
1: (laughs) So how, how has your
0: own attitude towards the toilet gardens
1: uh, evolved since you started making this film? I mean, you said you've grown up with them around.
0: Yeah. I, you know, like I said, I started out um, trying to stay unbiased um, and um, I, even with the the questions of like, is it art or is it not, I didn't want to uh, interject my own opinion. So any, with that discussion, I let, I asked community members and then I let them give their opinions and then I, I ran with it. So like the one uh, woman was talking about uh, Dada art. And so we went into a little segment there and, and I, and I guess my personal opinion is it does kind of fit in somewhere in there uh, because Dada art was an anti-art movement, kind of anti-establishment, which is really what Hank was was doing. He was kind of sticking it to the man, sort of thing. So, yeah, I I think th- I learned things like that that I um, that I didn't know before, and and I lean towards that. But um, I guess I'm to the point where a lot of community members are in that. Um, they're, they just become a part of Potsdam and I'm, I wouldn't say indifferent, but it's just like, it's just is what it is now. And so we, 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 life goes on and toilets are a part of it.
1: You have Clarkson on one side of the street and the toilets on the other.
0: Yeah. We're a college town. We're a toilet town. We're, uh, a quaint Victorian town. We're all those things. Uh, well, Morgan Elliott, thank you so much. Congratulations on the film. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it.
1: Morgan Elliott is the writer and director of the documentary Potty Town about the Potsdam Toilet Gardens. It came out last summer, which is when we first spoke with him. The movie has been released on a variety of streaming services, including Apple TV and Amazon Prime. You can find a photo of the Toilet Gardens and a link to more at ncpr.org slash northwards. I'm Mitch Teich. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Northwards. Catch new interviews every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. And learn more about all of our shows at ncpr.org. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The program is written, recorded, and edited by Mitch Dyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Music by the Whitmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.